0: On today's Growler Garage, we are talking NASCAR at Fontana and the unbelievable barn burner of a race out there. We're talking IndyCar at St. Petersburg, off to a great start there with a real interesting race in which we saw a first time winner. Then we've got Formula One, some notes there from the not preseason test, test type not test, testing is it testing? I don't know. Nobody will say if it's testing, but I guess it's not testing, in which we know almost nothing, but testing is still fun to talk about with Formula One. Let's get to it. All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. NASCAR had their second race of the season, and the second race in three weeks at, um, in Southern California, so obviously we had the preseason clash at the Coliseum. But then this past weekend, we had Fontana, the first real test, in my opinion, of the new next-gen, Gen Gen 7, whatever it is, the current-gen car. Uh, We obviously had the Daytona 500 last weekend, a couple weeks ago, I guess now, um, in which, you know, obviously they're using the new car, but it's a flat-out track, drafting, pack racing, lower horsepower, all that good stuff, but at Fontana... We've got a handling track, they're off the throttle, they've got more power than they had at Daytona. So it was the first real test to see how these cars raced and the result is pretty unanimous that it kicked ass. It was everything everybody hoped it would be from a racing standpoint, it was awesome. The cars were able to follow right up behind each other it seemed like. I mean, we're certainly gonna find out at the more, um, at the one and a half mile tracks you know that that are tighter corners more off throttle time that kind of stuff if it remains there but at least at this two mile track at auto club with the worn out asphalt it it delivered it was one of the best races i've ever seen it was probably the best race i've seen in person as far as nascar i've been to some real snoozers in my day um for nascar races uh fontana used to be just you know one of the worst tracks on the circuit for racing in all honesty um been to Race at Phoenix, I was in the early 90s. So it was a totally different ball game back then. Um, this race was really, uh, was really great. We were watching, uh, we were there. We were standing in the um, grandstands almost all day, um, right at the entry of turn one. Um, I was surprised with, with how much more drag these cars have and how much less horsepower they have than a few years ago, that we were still seeing 198 miles an hour on the Toyota board heading into turn one. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I, mean, I know they were hitting to ten to fifteen. I think at one point with the real high horsepower, low down force cars. But still, they were they were cooking when, when they went by us. Definitely enough to get your attention, which is which is kind of what it's about. Um, and the new cars sounded sounded cool at the Coliseum. They were kind of overbearing. I felt like, which makes sense. I mean, you're in a, a an arena basically where it's all um, ricocheting back and forth. And as somebody who's doesn't typically wear a lot of ear protection at races, unless, unless I'm at drag racing. Uh, at the Coliseum, I absolutely 100% needed it. Um, at Auto Club, it was kind of, eh, probably you know, you should have. You you always should. But, uh, you know, it wasn't. It, it definitely was more back to normal, where it was just loud but not, like, crazy. Um, so that was good. I was a little worried about it. I, I didn't know how much of that was the Coliseum and how much was the new car. So um, if you're going to a race... Wear it, but you know it's pretty much the same as ever. So um no, I, the the new car. um I mean, we were we were watching it from where we were at, where they were running right up by the wall, of course. But we saw the tire wear coming into play. We never got a long enough green flag run, which is like, I think the only knock on the race was that we never got green flag stops. We never got the really long run to see who was going. Because I think I think the 43, if the if the race would have gone long and had a green flag stop or two. I think Eric Jones in the 43 car was the guy to beat because at the end of each run he was starting to track those guys back down, um, in in a big way. Um, and, and it would just it, there was always a yellow that would get in the way. And his car was good on the short run, but it wasn't as good as those other guys. And they're going to be a, a team to watch out for. Really, all of the Richard Childress affiliated cars, they were all at the front, save for the 42 car. At one point or another, um, I think the one even was up there for a little while. I know he had some some trouble, but. I mean, you had Redick, obviously was the dominant car, and we'll get back to him because that, that was a total heartbreaker. Um, Redick, Dylan is there at the end. Suarez was there at the end. Uh, you know, then obviously the 43 of Eric Jones. That's, th- these are all Chevys that are not Hendricks, and they're all Richard Childress-affiliated in one way or another teams. Um, you know, and they, they were all fast. They were the guys to beat. I know Larson obviously got the when the Hendrick cars were obviously fast, but the Childress cars were, were, I think, a little faster. I, I think that the Hendrick cars just executed a little better at the end, and that's, I think, just from recent experience as far as being at the front. You know, they just got it done when it needed to. So uh, it'll be really interesting over the next couple of weeks to see, you know, who can keep the momentum going on, was this a, I don't want to say a fluke, but because you don't put that many cars towards the front on a fluke, but was it something that 's sustainable for um, those Chevys that aren 't Hedrick cars? Are they going to be able to be at the front for Vegas next week and for races going forward um, and, I, and I thought it was I thought it was awesome to see new guys at the front again. Larson did his thing and and took it at the end, which was cool because he was the, he was the best car at the end. you know Suarez got the lead coming to two to go or whatever it was uh, a couple laps to ago. Um, but Larson was faster. So it was really cool to see that the lead car didn't have that huge advantage where it was just over with on that last restart when somebody got the lead. Cause last year with the lead that Suarez got, that race was basically over, you know, more or less, uh, just in a general sense. But Larson was able to get to run on the top side and just drive, drive by him, which myself, <laughs> you know, rooting for, for Suarez. Um, I, it was disappointing, but at the same time, from a racing standpoint, it was exactly what this car was supposed to provide. Where Larson was faster at the end, had the run, got around them. The right car won. You know, obviously, Raddick was the was a dominant car all day, but at the end, Larson was the fastest car, and that's racing. You know, nobody stole it per se. Um, you know, in a sense, you could say it did because Larson was was kind of just in the top five all, all pretty much all race, but wasn't dominating wasn't leading it some people were in the stands going oh he stole that one stole that one." but i think that that was more of like chase elliott fans being upset um you know which they have i think they have a right to be upset and we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into that you know nowadays the driver and the spotter are almost just one unit you can't separate them It's the spotter's responsibility to make sure that the driver's clear and it's the driver's responsibility to also be looking at his mirrors and, and be knowing what's going around. At the end of the day, the driver's driving the car, but you can't say, oh, the spotter didn't do this, the spotter didn't do that, the spotter said this, the driver didn't do that. They're one unit to me these days. That's, that's just how it is. So the five car ran the nine car in the fence. It's pretty much simple as that. Was it a late move from the nine? Yeah, but I mean, they were at the bottom of the racetrack. The nine drives up beside him, had a nose on him and the five just put him in the fence, you know, I mean, it's racing. I mean, I, I wasn't somebody who was like thinking that that was the dirtiest move in the world. But if I'm an Elliot fan, I'm pretty mad. Cause I mean, Elliot got the wall towards the beginning of the race, clawed his way all the way back up there and was potentially in his position to win it and then gets the fence, um, you know, from his teammate and it certainly wasn't an intentional thing, but it was, it was, you know, carelessness in a way, um, one way or another, so um, I I I, I got to go Elliott as far as who's uh, who side him on on that one Larson kind of wronged him there and and I think uh, I think Elliott owes him one on that for sure so uh, that will be that will be interesting because the pressure is definitely on the rest of those those Hendrick guys now with how Larson's winning races and won championship last year and really just the guy to beat every week I mean guys you know especially Chase Elliott who was kind of the leader of that team up until Larson showed up pressure's got to be on and I mean Bowman was up there and he got the wall you know and and Byron I don't I don't even know what that was about that whole situation with him and Reddick, um you know Byron was fast just like all the other handshake cars and then and then Reddick, who's leading blows the left to tire um which was a heartbreaker everybody in the stands was just was like just you could hear just like a just everybody in the stands just the breath come out him just go oh no you know when he blew that left rear but you're thinking okay he's going to pro- probably lose a lap here if the car doesn't get torn up he still got a shot you know that car was so fast and he was so fast that you know you you figure okay there's still a chance for him to make a really cool comeback here and then byron just drives in the side of him i'm sure he got loose or whatever but you're just wondering why when there's a guy at the top of the of the track with a blown tire why are you cutting it that close? Why are you driving 10 tenths into the corner? Give up a tenth or two when you're passing a wounded car to to get through it cleanly. Just, it, it was baffling, you know, and, and I think that that might boil back down to the, the pressure being honest. I think he, I think somebody's got to drive in 100% every corner, every lap, taking chances they don't need to be taken because they're trying to prove that they're as good as Larson, I guess. And, you know, I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud here, but... You just get the feeling like these guys are getting a little bit, maybe not desperate yet, but they're definitely definitely pushing things more than they should be. So I mean, that was a head-scratching type of wreck there. I don't know what that was about. But, you know, it was, at the end of the day, Larson's race. He, he came in and got it done on the last two restarts, um, despite the challenges from Austin Dillon and from Daniel Suarez. Um, just incredible finish um, there in person. I don't know how it came off on TV. I haven't watched the broadcast yet, um, but everything I've read says you know people enjoyed it as much as we did so it was uh definitely definitely a, a great start to the season by nascar a real good daytona 500 followed it up with an even better race at fontana which is which is a crazy sentence to me to say um yeah that the fontana race overshadowed daytona but it did and you've got a top you know you've got top 10 drivers that really uh are exactly what we were hoping for with this new car is that the, the top teams are still the top teams, but, you know, Eric Jones, third, Suarez, fourth. You had Elmer Roll, was a, was a, you know, that was a heck of a recovery for him to finish sixth after the trouble they had earlier in the race to come back from that. Harvick was at the back for the first whole first half of the race. He finished his seventh, and Kurt Busch, same thing. They were at the back. The Toyotas were, were horrible. It seemed like all day, just like they could not get anything going at all. And Kurt Busch to finish eighth, um, you know, just shows how good Kurt Busch still is. I think he, I mean, he's got to be the most underrated driver out there in my opinion. I think he's going to win some races this year for sure. Um, once the Toyotas kind of get this thing figured out, cause all of them looked pretty rough compared to what we're used to seeing out of the Gibbs cars and, and the other Toyota cars, you know, seeing, seeing them challenge for the win. And I mean, there was none, I don't think they let a lap. It was, I, I was, I was very, very surprised by that, but that was, you know, um, you know that's part of the deal. So they recovered well. I mean, Bush and eighth, Truex the thirteenth, and Bush in fourteenth. It's not. I'm sure what they're looking for Hamlin in Hamlin and fifteenth. That's better than they ran, though. I mean, with the exception of maybe Kyle Busch, the rest of them were outside. You know, the top thirty for a lot of the race. You know, Bush obviously had his trouble and his overheating, and then they recovered and finished. Even on the lap was pretty pretty wild. So maybe there's some speed there, and it was just a bad day for all of them, but. I couldn't see it from where I was sitting. So, you know, it's, uh, we'll see. I think that's something that'll be very interesting to watch also. Then you had the 12 car, um, Blaney finishes 18th. That car, I don't know how much of it they showed on TV, but he was flying the last 30 laps. And every time, he was really flying before that, but you couldn't really, you didn't really notice because every time they make a pit stop, he'd lose like eight spots. And, I'm, and I think that they showed that sort of stuff but I don't know that they showed how fast that 12 car actually was. I mean, because if if we don't get that last yellow, he has a shot to win. I don't know if he was going to reel in Larson, but he was he was going to get second at least. Um, and then they restart like in 10th, and I don't I don't know what happened after that with him, but it wasn't wasn't his day. But that, it was it was uh, it was an interesting one. Um, then you you know one I skipped over there was was Hemrick running ninth, um, part time deal in a full time car. I mean, he's showing his worth, you know, obviously the, um, win and the, and the championship last year in Xfinity. So everybody knows he's good, but now he's kind of proven it. Um, so that's, uh, that's cool to see, you know, I don't know if you can really call that team an underdog at this point, but even though it's their first year, I mean, I guess you kind of have to, in a way, I mean, it's their first year in cup. So, um, pretty cool, um, to see that Stenhouse ran a good race. I mean, he was at the front, he finished 10th, um, he was at the front really all day. Uh, I think 10th actually probably is a disappointment for them. They were a top-five car pretty much all race, um, which, again, pretty cool. I mean, they're a single-car team now, so, you know, that's, uh, that's got to be pretty good. I don't know if uh, – I'm sure TV showed it, but the 31 friggin clobbered the inside wall with, on that last restart. And it, the race stayed green, but, I mean, he, I, I couldn't believe that that car drove away because, I mean, he just knocked the pit wall pit road wall down um it it was huge hit i mean and then he kind of like took a second the car never came to a stop i mean he just kind of toasted for a second and then drove around and i was i'm sure the car was really hurt but the fact that he drove around was that blew me away um i don't know how that looked on tv but in person that was a massive hit right into the driver's side um which then leads to, you know, for all the praise of the new car and, and Fontana and all that stuff, the new car definitely wasn't perfect. Um, you know, we all saw that if somebody blew a tire or slid for a bit and, and tire came off the rim or whatever, that you need to get towed back. That's, um, you know, it's that's a double-edged sword, you know, in the sense that we, we obviously need to make it so they can just drive these cars back somehow if at all possible, but You know, I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it sound from a competition standpoint, because if you don't want that to happen, don't spin out, (laughs) you know, and I know that that seems obvious or whatever, but the fact of it is once you lose control of your car, whatever happens to you after that is nobody's problem, but your own that the sanctioning body, nobody, it it doesn't matter. If You don't want that to happen. Don't spin. Don't crash. I, I mean, to me. Um, however, from a pace of event standpoint, you know, there were some, some spins yesterday that could have been, not been yellows, um, if they could have just driven away. So, you know, that's, um, that's something that, that needs to be worked on. And and they know that NASCAR is very, if we're aware of it, they're aware of it. Um, but I don't know what the answer is there because, uh, they can't put an inner liner, inner liner, on these like they used to. And If, if you don't know what inner, inner liner is kind of a tire inside of a tire. So back last year and for years prior, decades prior, um, if you blew the tire, there was kind of a secondary tire inside that would just be enough to allow you to limp the car back to the pits. With the new larger wheel, there is no room for an inner liner anymore. So what do you do? Because um, what's happening now is that the rub blocks, which are these, these blocks on the bottom of the car to keep you from making the car too low those will bottom out and kind of beat you there on the track if you blow a tire because the the wheel no longer is, is touching the ground in enough of a way to to drive around. So so you you can drive a car without a tire. I mean, <laughs> you can drive it on the wheels and it'll destroy the wheel and hurt the track. But in racing, who really cares about that? Um, but if the tire or if the wheel is not supporting the weight of the car, it will not go. It's just sitting there spinning on top of the track. And that's what's happening right now. So... You can't really change those rub blocks because now all the hard work you've done on this car to make it race really good goes out the window because now they're getting the cars back on the ground again, and you've got these dirty air problems, and you, you can't just do that. Um, and I've seen people suggest just taking the flat floor off the car. No, you, you can't. You can't just do that. You're reinventing the car at the point at that point, and that's that's not going to happen, nor should it. So it becomes an issue of of how do you solve. you you know, the problem in the sense of, okay, the car stopped, we know it stopped, it's going to stop, there's nothing you can do about it, it doesn't appear. Um, So how how do you get it back going again? Well, that's not perfect because the yellow is going to be at that point anyways, so that doesn't solve the the pace of race problem. However, if you can get the car fixed, maybe they can be one or two lap yellows instead of five or six lap yellows, which helps. Um, So, you know, solutions I've seen range from the safety crew has wheels and tires in the safety truck to put on it. I don't know about that. They're not pit crews. There's a ton of liability there as far as they put a wheel on the car. They don't get it tight. Comes off in a bad spot. You know, because the idea would be they put a wheel on a limp back around to the pits and their pit crew solves it at that point. At least you don't have to get on the wrecker. Well, I know that it's just under yellow, but if it's two mile track like Auto Club, if they're going even 100 miles an hour and that wheel comes off that wheel becomes a projectile potentially the driver now no longer has control of the car i don't like the idea of safety crews working on the cars i don't i don't think that should happen um you know i've seen solutions like they put a truck in pit road that's got seats in the back and when a car spins they put three or four members of the pit crew in the truck with a wheel and a jack and they go run out there and change it yeah i don't i don't love that either because it's a logistical nightmare. Uh, I don't really see how that's any faster than just hooking the car up to the hook and driving it. Um, I, I I almost feel like they could come up with a way to have a specific tow truck that is almost like a. Uh, it's almost got like a scoop on the back in a way, where it just slides underneath the rear of the car and puts the rear tires on like dollies or something, um, or just. It otherwise just gets the rear tires off the ground and then is like a push truck. So the driver has to steer it still and they can just push the car around without it dragging the whole way back. I think that could work, but I, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know for sure, but it, you know, it could destroy the diffuser, the rear bumper or whatever. I don't know. Um, but it is not as easy of a solution as you might think. And this is, I think it's why NASCAR is not going to rush into solving it. I'm, I'm sure they're working on it as we speak, but I think it will be a week or two, a race or two before we see any kind of change as far as that procedure is concerned because there are a lot of ways to do this wrong that do not really help anything. So um and I and I going back again, I don't think it's as big of a deal as some people are making it sound because again, if you don't want that to happen, don't spin out. <laughs> you know, and it sounds silly, but that's racing. Um you know, it it's there are series out there in the world that if you spin out, that's it. Your race is over. So, you know, yeah, it, it's it's not that. So um no big deal. So anyways, to finish that up, NASCAR I think nailed it with the new car. It's only been one race. We'll see if it keeps going, but so far so good. Um I would I would say, you know, A on the on the grade for this car so far. Um and, and there's only a couple little quarks to work out, so that's not bad. Um and they'll they'll get it. So great job by NASCAR, um, which is rare for me to say sometimes <laughs> after the last few years. So um Moving on to uh, Florida for St. Petersburg, IndyCar, uh, kicks off their season, kicked off their season out there. Um, you know, pretty normal IndyCar race at St. Petersburg. It's always a, a pretty good race, because it's a cool track. So just watching the cars drive around at speed is, is entertaining to me, because it's one of those tracks where it's a little bumpy, it's tight, it's got some wide spots, so, so it's it's a cool track just to watch cars go around. Um, Which is cool. They just look like they're going too fast for the track, which is, (laughs) which is kind of part of the fun. Um, But other than that, it was a pretty normal, you know, IndyCar race at Saint Petersburg. Scott McLaughlin um, kicked everybody's ass. (laughs) You know, Pello made it difficult on him at the end for sure. Um, You know, and Pello's off to a great start in his title defense, uh, which is cool to see um, because he's still, you know, he's a new, relatively new driver in IndyCar. So seeing him be able to maintain that pace he had last year is uh, is cool. I mean that's that's what we need is, is more of these guys to take the fight to the Dixons and the and the Powers and the guys who have been here for a long time. So um you know and and Scott, you know, we'll see um if this opens the floodgates, I think it will. I think we're going to see McLaughlin win a lot of races this year. I think the ovals will be what is going to keep him from potentially contending for a championship. He was okay on them last year, had some decent runs. Um, but was not consistently up front front at the ovals. Um, I think he will take a step forward this year. Wouldn't terribly surprise me to see him win an oval race, Um, but I don't think he's going to have the consistency just yet. I think he'll be in the conversation for a championship at the end of the year, Um, but I don't believe he's going to be one of the two or three contending for it, but I could totally be wrong. Um, It's only one race, Um, and he looked real good today. So, I mean, you've got to... All the street circuits, at least, you have to say, okay, he's the guy to beat for right now. Go to Long Beach, you know, he's uh he's gonna be the guy that you uh, have circled on your list as this is the guy to watch. So, um, you know, that that'll be that's that's cool. Seems like a popular guy, nice guy, and people like him. So, doesn't hurt to have more of those guys winning races. Um, you know, Polo finished second, like we talked about. Um, so off to a great. Uh, defense of his championship will power was third which is cool will will's been so streaky the last few years as far as just not consistent enough to run for those championships so he's off to a good start here you know we're used to you know a few years ago him being the fastest dude at every racetrack and we haven't seen that out of him you know and it's hard to say the sport is so difficult to make sense of sometimes you know who knows what was causing those struggles relative struggles i mean he's still out there in like top five in races but when he's not on pole more often than he's not you go man what's going on why is why is willpower not on pole um so you know and and we'll we'll see i mean started second so i mean the speed is speed's there again for him and colton heard a fourth which is not terribly surprising colton's you know we're we're waiting for for him to be that championship contender kind of was last year um just the consistency is what what Pelot did last year and what Dixon has done for years. That's made them so hard to beat over at Ganassi. Um, and then uh, Roman uh, Grosjean, um, fifth, he was fast all weekend. He's, he's going to be – he's going to win some races this year, no doubt about it. Um, we'll see. I mean, he's another guy that's going to be running the ovals, running the whole year. He ran um, – was a gateway last year and, and was impressive even if the results didn't didn't come to him so we think he's going to be good on the ovals um good you know for effectively a, a, an oval rookie this year um so he'll it'll be cool to to follow it man it's it's hard to put an expectation on him because he's so fast you know that he could definitely contend for the championship he can win the championship why i mean why not but you know then there's so many question marks you know can he do it consistently i mean he had that that silly wreck with Sato in, in practice, like what well, I don't—I know that's easy to, to happen. It's much easier for that kind of thing to happen than people realize. I and mean, people that are dunking on him on Twitter and stuff, like you know, I, I get it because it was a silly-looking accident, and it shouldn't have happened. I am mean, not not saying that that wasn't a mistake, but you know, it's pretty easy to understand how it happened. Um, but you just—you know—you can't be doing that. You don't see Scott Dixon doing that. Um, but we've seen some other contenders do things just as silly, so um you know that'll be he'll be he's gonna be really fun to watch he's my favorite driver to watch as far as just he's there's always excitement <laughs> going on with him so um he'll be cool and then the vk um showed good speed all weekend and that's cool because he he looked so good the first half of last year legitimate championship contender last year um until there was some some issues there and um Believe you had to miss a race, and you know it just kind of fell apart. But it looks looks good. Looks off to a good start, you know, with a sixth. Um, I expect to see him on the podium a lot more coming soon here. Um, Then we had Ray Hall in seventh, um, which is that's kind of where Graham Ray Hall (laughs) lives. It's in the top ten, and then you know dixon finished 8th which i think is not really indicative of of really how how fast he was and how good he still it still is i mean it's it's hard it's easy to forget he's been he's been at this level for 20 years now um you know and he re- led 26 laps he was off strategy he was the first of the three stop cars but he was the first of the three stop cars by a lot you know like six positions in like 4 seconds um, so it was the wrong strategy, the three stop, three stop, Dixon kind of made it work. Um, I think he was quicker than that. I, I think that they just kind of got it wrong, but you know, if, sands or buts, you know, who knows? Um, so that'll be, you know, Dixon's always, always is the championship favorite until, and right until he's eliminated from it. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the guy to beat and has earned that, that right. So, um, you know, he's, he's just good everywhere. So you know we know Dixon's going to be good, and then the next of the three stoppers was all the way down in 12th, which was Pato Award, and I mean those, it was surprising to see the McLarens really be nowhere. You know Pato, you know we expected him to really, you know, be at the front, you know, challenging for a win and qualified 16th. You know it's not, and then finish at 12th. Like I don't, I don't know what. Hopefully just the first race little issue and they'll get it solved we know mclaren's dumped a lot of resources into this team and um they need to be better than that but i mean it can happen to anybody i mean you look at simon Pagenaud on 15th um actually finished behind Castro Neves, his, his teammate now over there at meyer shank racing um that, you know it's funny because they're only one position apart and on one hand you have to go man Castro Neves must be pretty satisfied with a 14th you know he's a guy obviously who's won a ton of races and has won at saint petersburg but, I mean, he took basically a year off. I mean, he, of course, he ran and won Indy last year, but he hasn't been on a road course really consistently in, in quite a while. I know he ran some races last year, but, you know, I'm sure he's not happy with a 14th, but he can't be too bummed about a, a 14th after missing most of last year. Um, so on one hand, you have that, and then you have his teammate who's just one spot behind him, Pagano on 15th he must be disappointed in that. I mean, I know it's a new team, but he, he'd driven for them in the past, so it's not all brand new. And Pagano, you know, champion a couple of years ago, one of the fastest dudes out there, uh, him in 15th just kind of shows how competitive IndyCar is right now, along with Joseph Newgarden in 16th. That, to me, was the biggest shocker of the weekend was Newgarden was just not there at all that I saw. I mean you got to figure they're going to get it fixed, whatever whatever it is. First race does weird stuff like this sometimes, but, you know, pretty pretty wild. Um, you don't see Penske cars, and you don't see Newgarden outside the top 15 very often, especially when they're still running at the end and on the lead lap. It just doesn't happen. So that was that was a little eyebrow-raising. Um, and then, you know, Rossi in 20th is another one. You know, rough, real rough start to the season for Rossi. And Rossi's got to get it turned around here. Like, I know he led 10 laps yesterday, but they just, it's like they couldn't get out of their own way yesterday, you know? And I don't know, or I shouldn't say yesterday, I should say last year. Um, all last year, like, Rossi'd be fast and get a podium. But, like, two years ago, he's winning races, championship contender, always at the front, just like one of the guys to beat. And last year, they were just like, you saw the speed was still there, and they just couldn't. It's just like tr- problem after problem after problem for Rossi, and they gotta get that that dark cloud out from over his head. Something's something's going on over there, um, you know. But they'll when you've got his teammate, you know, hurt up there, running fast all the time. You know the team's capable of it, so they'll uh, they'll look to get it sorted. And then we got to we got to talk about Jimmy Johnson. You know, last year myself and a lot of others cut him a lot of slack. You go, okay, first time out there. IndyCar is so different than anything he's ever raced before. You know, he did a lot of testing and all that stuff to make sure he was at least not a detriment to the race. And he, and I don't, for the most part last year he wasn't. But IndyCar is not a development series. IndyCar is pro level, top tier, open wheel racing. And we all know people buy their seats out there and whatever. Jimmy Johnson did not buy his seat in a traditional sense, obviously. Seven-time NASCAR champion. I'm not questioning Jimmy Johnson's ability or his talent or anything like that. What I'm saying is we gave him a lot of slack last year, but that slack has to come to an end now. He's been to all these tracks before. He's in a Ganassi car. He has all the resources that are around him. And I'm saying this as a big Jimmy Johnson fan, as somebody who really appreciates the challenge he's taken on by running IndyCar. They have to get it together. He was He could run lap times that were mid-pack, but he could it just seems like he can't do it consistently, lap after lap after lap after lap. And somebody who's raced a lot, I can tell you what's happening there is that he's able to he's able to really push himself and run a lap or two that are fast-ish. And but then it it's he's having to work so hard to do it, you can you just can't do that consistently. The guys who are doing that consistently are doing it without having to think about it. Meaning they're they're good to the point where their brain is focused on racing. And not getting the race car around the track. Yes, there's a few tenths in hand if they push, you know, and they're and they're and they have laps where they're like, okay, we're going to do qualifying type laps here, then your brain is focused on getting the car around the track as fast as it can be. But for the most part, yes, they're focused on driving the car, of course. But the muscle memory, the ability, the confidence, all that stuff is ha- is taking over for itself. And that's something that I know Jimmy Johnson was able to do, obviously, for years and years and years in NASCAR, and he'll He'll, you know, be able to get a car on track without even thinking about it, without issue. It tells me that in an indie car, he has, has to be, he has to be laser focused on getting the car around the racetrack, because those lap times are oftentimes competitive, but not consistently. And at this point, I don't really care what your credentials are. I don't care how long you've been doing this in, in NASCAR or or sports cars or off road racing or whatever. If you're second year out here. And you're getting out qualified by people who have never driven before. Okay, one race. Hey, who knows? Anything can happen. And I shouldn't say people who never driven before. People who are rookies in IndyCar, their first IndyCar race. Obviously, there are some who are incredibly talented and they beat many people in the field. But then there are less highly touted drivers who also outqualified him this past weekend. Okay, again, once one race. You know, we can't. Make a bunch of decisions off one race, but the alarm bells have to be going off over there and going, man, he better come out at these ovals and at least be competitive. If we go to Texas and he's not mid-pack, I mean, or better, like, like what really? What are we doing here? Like, I understand that's a car that wouldn't even be out on the track if not for him. That he's a sponsor's dream. He's one of the most successful drivers in the history of motorsports. Um. One of only three drivers to ever win seven championships in NASCAR. Those are all very important things. But IndyCar has to be above that at a certain point. Um, And at some point, he... You know, and I promise you that Jimmy Johnson is very aware of himself. He's one of the most intelligent drivers there are. He's very self-aware. He knows. There's nothing that I'm saying here that that he is not aware of. Um, But at a certain point if you don't go to Texas and run decent if you don't go to Indianapolis and run decent i mean at, at, like uh, imagine that we go to Indianapolis and Jimmy Johnson doesn't make the race i mean at that point do you just call it quits on the whole program I, I mean really i mean because at that point what's the point anymore what what's what have we done here if he goes to Indianapolis and doesn't qualify which i think he will i think he'll be i think he'll be okay on the ovals that'll that'll that's my opinion on this but if we if if let's just say we get there and it's not from a mechanical issue if if it just doesn't have enough speed to get into the race is is the season over at that point do they put somebody else in the car does the car just go away i, I don't know i mean at at that point if i'm in his shoes i go jeez what why like if if you if it's just not working it's not working um so to me like it's getting it's getting to the point now where that team and that car and that driver just we're getting a little we're just we're getting to point where they got to put some results up and i'm not expecting him to ever be a podium contender and that he doesn't need to be he doesn't need to be out there contending for wins but he should be contending for top 15s occasionally by now um and i think that's like we go to long beach in a few weeks um and that's that that has to happen Um, more importantly, we go to Texas next, um, again, in a few weeks, March, uh, March 20th, that weekend, um, Texas, you know, gotta, Jimmy's gotta, gotta at least be competitive. Don't care about where the finishes gotta be competitive, gotta qualify decent, gotta be able to mix it up with those guys have to be competitive. Um, if not, I mean, alarm bells big time at that point. So, um, that's enough about that, uh. He knows that. All his fans know that. I'm not saying anything nobody doesn't know. Um, but yeah, congrats on to McLaughlin. First career win. First of many, I think. I think he's a dude to beat at Long Beach for sure. And uh, we'll see how he does at Texas. If he goes out there and runs up front, I think we got a legitimate championship contender on our hands. Um, and it'll be cool. Speaking of Texas, it's going to be cool to, uh, again, have an oval before Indy. Um, we haven't seen that in a few years. Um, the last few, um, Indy's been the first... Um, no, last year, last year I guess we did Texas first also. Well, that was, so that was a nice change of pace, but there had been several years there where Indy was the first oval of the year, and I didn't like that. It doesn't give anybody a chance to get the, the rust worked off for ovals because it's a totally different feel, a totally different type of uh, racing. Um, so last year we went to Texas before Indy, doing that again this year, um, which is a great move. We'll see how Texas races. Last year, Texas raced Horrible. With that resin they put up on top of the track or PJ one or whatever it was for cup cars, they totally ruined it for indie cars. Um, so let's hope that has burned off or worn out or whatever. because uh, that that is that was horrible <laughs> last year. So let's just, let's hope they can put on a good show. Um so that's uh yeah, IndyCars gonna be fun this year. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And then we'll talk, we're just gonna touch on Formula One, the preseason not test. Last week, um, they they are not for some reason calling it a test, a preseason test. They were calling it like a shakedown or something. I don't know. Um, something to do with somebody has like exclusive rights to the preseason test or something. I guess in Bahrain, I don't know. <laughs> it was a test. Um, but the point the point there, though, is that there is some truth to that, in a sense of that. There's LOP Times posted. There's all sorts of stuff out there kind of showing um, the comparison of the cars, that none of that matters yet. We don't know anything. We know nothing about who's fast and who's not right now. Like, I promise. I know Mercedes was fastest on day three, followed by Red Bull, which is what you would expect to see. It shows that they're not slow. You know, the Mercedes isn't going to go out there and finish 20th. You know, that isn't isn't how that's going to go. But it does not necessarily mean that Mercedes is the fastest car and that Red Bull is four tenths behind them. Not how it works, the testing, especially at this kind of shakedown session, if you will. It's all, to me, the most important thing is the number of laps completed because you can't fake that. You can't do a hero run of laps completed. So that tells you a lot about reliability, which in turn does tend to tell you a little bit about how fast the car is because they're not pushing the limit as far. If they're desperate and they know the car's slow, like these teams probably know who's and who's not, because they have sector data and a lot more info and who's confident, who looks good, like what crews look like they're feeling confident. So if they know they're not off to a good start, they're going to put some developmental parts on the car or they're going to push boundaries a little more and work these cars harder, which will in turn typically mean that it's less reliable, which means that they make less laps. So... From that standpoint, we know Mercedes is in good shape, you know, because their drivers, you know, just on day three alone, did 160 laps between the two of them. It's, it's a lot, you know, and then you go down the list and Red Bull was was pretty close to that. They did about 130 or so. Um, and then it starts to drop off somewhat significantly after that, you know. Ferrari did about 130 also, but then Williams did, did like 100, uh, McLaren did like 120. Um, so the point there is Mercedes put put in more laps than everybody else, and even the lap times don't matter a whole lot, did have the fastest two lap times on day three. So you, you just you you have to know, especially with the reputation, with how they've been the last decade, Mercedes is always the team to beat until proven otherwise. Red Bull beat them last year, and Red Bull, of course, is going to be fast. Neither of these teams is going to come rolling out with some clunker that's, that's contending for 10th. That just isn't going to happen. But what we don't know yet is how fast it's Ferrari. There's a lot of talk that the Ferrari is really good this year. We don't know yet. We're not going to find out until qualifying at round one. In all honesty, even practice at round one doesn't really tell us a whole lot. Um, So what we don't, what we do know is that Mercedes and Red Bull are going to be the benchmarks. What we don't know is, has anybody else jumped up there to meet or possibly even exceed the benchmarks? We don't know. Could be Ferrari, could be McLaren, could be Haas for all we know. Probably not. But I think the midfield is where things will be a little more interesting. The top, I don't expect the top to change much, other than I think if I had to guess and make a prediction that's way too early, I'd predict that Ferrari and McLaren will both have closed the gap and they'll be with a pretty clear three and four teams this year. That will occasionally mix it up with the one and two teams. We'll see. Um, but then the midfield between Aston Martin, uh, Alpine, uh, even um, Alfa Romeo, I, I know Alfa Torre will be up there. Um, and I think Haas, I think, I really think Haas is going to jump up, um, this year and be a really solid mid-pack team. I think they'll get points on a somewhat consistent basis. Um, they're not going to jump up and do a Braun GP, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whatever it was, um, and be a championship team. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but it just, you know, that's, that's just not real likely, um. But I do think that they are going to be um, a good mid-pack team. I don't know that we're going to see anybody be a consistent last place team like we've seen the last few years. I think that, it's gonna, that mid-pack is going to mix it up a lot. Um, but because I think there will be four clear teams faster than that, in my prediction, I think what that's going to mean is that those mid-pack teams are going to be scrapping for one point here and there on a very regular basis. If somebody can jump up on a and finish fifth, I think that's gonna be massive in the Constructors' Championship um, for those mid-pack teams. Because um, to them, it's very important. I mean, finishing sixth in Constructors versus seventh is a gigantic uh, difference. Uh, so, you know, that's I think that's gonna be really fun this year. I think that this, this new car st- um, stands um, to make the racing really interesting. And whenever there's massive regulation changes like this, the first few races are always really interesting. Um, and from what I've seen from the driver's feedback, granted it's limited at this point, they have said that following other cars seems to be a little better, um, which is great if they can be a little closer to the corners um, without getting uh, a massive amount of uh, dirty air. Uh, I think that that's going to only make things better. Uh, it would be really cool if we could get it to the point where we could get rid of DRS, in my opinion. Um, I don't like it for myself. As a, as a fan of the sport, I, I don't really care for DRS much. I don't hate it like some others do. I think it's put on some good races and I deal with it. It's fine. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much, but if we can get the racing good enough without it, that would be, um, that would be awesome. I would love for that to happen. And I think a lot of other, other ones will as well. Um, so, you know, we've got, we still have quite a bit of time before the first, uh, Formula One race of the year, uh, about a month, um, or so, uh, March 18th is the, is the beginning of the season. Um, out at, um, Bahrain this year, not, no, not, yeah, March 18th, yeah, um, out of Bahrain. Uh, it's interesting that they have a test this year, before a week before at the same track. Um, so that's, that's an odd but potentially interesting change. And this whole schedule is kind of weird this year. We got Bahrain kicking off the year and then going straight to Saudi Arabia, which was at the tail end of the season last year um, in that really odd street circuit. Um, and then, kind of the traditional kickoff to the year, Australia isn't until April now, um, round three, um, and they've made some changes. We haven't gone to Australia in a few years now because of all the COVID stuff. I mean, remember that was where in 2020 we were; the, the series was there on Friday, and it got canceled right before the season started. Um, so they they were there two years ago, but didn't actually race. So it's been three years almost, since we've seen a race in Australia. Um, so that will be fun. They've made some changes to that track since the last time they raced there. Um, we'll see what those do. And then after that, kind of get into the European swing after that, a random US race, kind of in the middle of it in Miami, um, around Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. That, one, um, that one's interesting because so it's kind of part street circuit, part permanent, because there are some corners that are permanent Corners on the track this year. So that's going to be an odd one. What I find interesting about the schedule this year for Formula One is that they go to North America three separate times, (laughs) which just seems um, less than efficient. As we go, you know, they go in Miami, they go to Miami in May, they go from Italy to Miami, back to Spain, and then they stay in Europe, then they go back to Canada in June, and then back to England a couple weeks later. And then back in the, to North America for Texas, and then at least after Texas is Mexico, so you're staying for two weeks. But it's just like, I, I kind of get it because like you don't want to do all the U.S. races and all the North American races back to back, because you, who's going to travel all those? Their, their hope is that somebody who goes to Miami, then has a little bit of time to recoup and go to Texas, you know, several months later. Um, but from an efficiency standpoint, my goodness, like that's. It's all over the board. It's like they're throwing darts to make the schedule sometimes. Um, but that'll be cool. Have an East Coast um, race. Um, the, the Miami track is being put on by people who take this stuff real seriously. I know it's going to be a beautiful facility. Uh, so that one's going to be cool. And then uh, a whole lot of normal characters. I mean, Canada being back is awesome. I haven't raced there in a couple of years either. Um, Really good schedule this year, in my opinion. Going to a lot of really good tracks. Um, So it's going to be something to really look forward to for Formula 1. So that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week, of course, to recap some more NASCAR. Uh, We don't really have a whole lot else going on next week yet. The season isn't in full swing just yet. Um, So next week will be pretty much just NASCAR um, from Las Vegas. So that will be a really cool event to recap because we'll see if the racing is more like fontana this is or if it's going to be kind of back to what we saw last year where it's a little bit lead follow not a lot of ability to make passes that kind of stuff we're hoping that the new car that's not the case but vegas is a very different track to fontana just in uh, asphalt consistency alone um so we uh we'll see it'll be an interesting one again next week thank you for tuning in appreciate it this has been a growler garage and we will see you next week